Welcome to the Ankler Podcast. This is Sean McNulty from the Wake Up Newsletter here at the Ankler. Joining today, uh, Mr. Richard Rushfield from Los Angeles and a special guest, Jason Hirshhorn, CEO of Redef. Uh, Jason, thanks for joining us today. Good to see you. How you doing, guys? Good to see you. Nice, nice and early. Yeah, doing it early before the holidays here, because we can get out the door and I can get back to New Jersey. Uh, well, in 2022, we have you know about a week left. Uh, we finally said farewell to AT&T in Hollywood. Richard, you can remove them from your Christmas card list this year, I think. Is that, uh, <laughs> yeah. I, 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 we'll, we'll still remember the special times. All right. I'm sure John will be on the lookout for your card. Uh, I'm going uh, to miss the, the, the terrible AT&T swag with like the jean shirt with like wooden buttons or something <laughs> i'm sure they have extra jason if you want one uh yeah. but of course you can uh, add mr Iger back to your list although i'm sure uh the disney board never really crossed him off um so we have a <laughs> change of the guard a lot this year but movie business uh sports rights uh award show business uh going off a cliff or hanging out on the edge uh certainly a lot of change ahead and, you know, instead of looking back, let's uh, put the goggles on and look forward. I think uh, this will, you know, 2023 will be the first full year without, I mean, knock on wood, but without COVID really being a narrative. You know, I mean, Omicron was still, you know, January, February last year was still a real part of, you know, what was going on and still affecting parts of the business. But, you know, uh, failing any new variant that ruins our year, which I probably shouldn't say that out loud. Uh, this will be the, you know, the, there's no more excuses, put it this way of well this happened or this happened like this is just the new the new business this is going forward it is what it is i uh, feel like people people learn to live with it and learn to live around it and i i don't i i think there's going to be more covid but i don't think oh, there's sure, going to be no. a lot of uh it's not you gonna know, f- we're going to shut down the business for it exactly exactly so uh but i think you know streaming still rules the business so let's you know we got to start with streaming um you know, I think 2022, in terms of five years from now, we're having a conversation looking back will be the year, you know, Wall Street kind of started, whether wisening up or call it what you will, that uh, all streaming subscribers are not the same and uh, started asking how much you're making on, on this business that you've been investing in for the past, uh, you know, five to eight years. In, in some cases, uh, we had the great Netflix Q2 earnings call, which... <laughs> Dropped the stock to about 180. It's now back to about 300, uh, which is only half of where it started the year uh, in 2022, back in January. So more to go there. Uh, and Richard, as you pointed out in your uh, kind of one of your year-end pieces, you know, Hollywood should be very thankful that Q3 rebounded. I mean, can you imagine if the Q3 Netflix, Netflix call kept going in that direction, Richard? I mean, it's it, it's almost unthinkable if if. Netflix had continued cratering, had really, really uh, had to have some sort of serious pullback, or had to be you know, go to a fire sale or something like that. If they, you know, if say they had to cut back production seventy percent or something like that, which you know, which would put them on a par with everyone else. Um, <laughs> but it's it it's such a big footprint, and it drives so much of the economy now that if you you lost that. Uh, what what the state we'd all be in there? Yeah, and Jason, so what was your? You know, I mean, I haven't talked to you about this. So, what was your kind of narrative on the? the I mean, I, you know, we've gone through the past five years in, in American life where nothing should surprise me, um, <laughs> but the re, the reaction to Netflix, you know, was so shocking to me because the people that were basically selling out were they're, they're shorting their own game, and I thought. 
in the beginnings, I mean, I was mostly talking about this on social media, but thought that there was a huge overreaction and that Netflix was failing and now it was going to copy the Hollywood studios and their cadence to, to they're in another universe. They've changed the game entirely. They're the only company basically without any legacy deals whatsoever. Maybe you could say prime is like that. Um, they're still the monster that is so far away in another universe from the other services. I don't count them out at all. I think this was a good time to take a look at what their production was and, you know, if you look at it, it really took over the child and from being a channel-focused programming strategy and media uh, and niche-type stuff to move to be more of a entire system programming strategy, meaning if you compared them to cable, they had every single genre and type of programming that cable had. Um, you know, I still think they're going to be incredibly strong. I think they'll pull back on some production, as they've talked about already. They're pretty tough on economics if you talk to anybody in town. You know, they cut hard deals, um, and they've done a couple of these superstar deals to, to, to see how they pan out. But ultimately, it's a cost-plus model. And, you know, I would like them as a fan. There's no difference to me in a Netflix original. So what is a Netflix original? It could be The <laughs> Crown, or it could be, you know, uh, Baking the, in Zimbabwe. Or The, the uh, Ranch, uh, you know, with uh, Ashton Kutcher or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah so, yeah. I, you know, for me, I'm, I'm because there's so much content out there, I'm looking for some, you know, sort of discerning notes. But they still deliver, and they deliver at a cadence so that when you think that you're bored of them, there's another show that takes um, part of the zeitgeist of culture. It could be things like The Tinder Swindler or new shows like the recruit um but i don't i don't feel sorry for them i don't think they're going to be fine <laughs> um and i i also don't think that there's this zaslav versus netflix type of strategy meaning we'll get to the zaslav of it all but like netflix is still growing and as they grow it's harder because you're at a higher level and you have to add things like an ad tier um, in order to get newer customers or because people are going through economic hurt, they can't keep all these subscriptions or they're harder to like sort of, you know, keep track of. Um, but I don't worry about Netflix at all. They're still the first to do big events. They're still the first to get these massive, massive co-viewing um, numbers. And I think that the pullback, while necessary from a price perspective, the narrative that they were over and that they were somehow in trouble was ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah, and they've uh, you know announced the big Chris Rock live event next year. So I think live will be you know everybody's like sports. I'm like it's not sports. Sports are tied up. The you know adding the surfing league is not going to change their business. It's fine. You know it's not that. But live events. I'm like the Chris Rock concert live. I'm like yeah, I'm in for that. Like that's you know you got me. I saw him. I saw him a couple weeks ago doing. I think with the show that they're going right, to you know right. broadcast live. He was amazing. You He's know I'm very I'm very excited about this tennis show that's coming, which is supposed to be in the vein and from the creators right. of the Netflix uh, F1 show, yeah. which was fantastic. And while they're not the biggest numbers, I would say that things that they satiate me on is, you know, documentaries and these sort of real topics that come up. World Cup, which is still new to America in many ways, um, their FIFA Uncensored or Uncovered uh, miniseries yeah. about the corruption there was phenomenal. Yeah. Um, I'd like to see a lot of that. But do, do, you, do you get the sense that in the scripted uh, category for them, that th there was a lot of talk after the, the crash about we're going to have to be more disciplined, we're going to have to be more selective, we're going to have to be make smarter choices. 
And that talk seems to have faded away. And I, it's, it's hard to, they're so big. It's hard to tell what, what the deals that are actually happening are, but uh, what, I'm, what, what I'm concerned about there is Netflix really rode the wave of, for, for, for a good reason. One was, I think for moral and ethical issues, I think one because of the lack of production that was going on during COVID, but they led the way internationally of showing non-English speaking um, countries product back in America for the first time. And it did well, but also giving audiences that weren't represented for the most part in having their own, you know, fictional and non-fictional shows on TV. Um, I'm concerned about those smaller shows getting pulled back because they're, they're meaningful to some people. Um, you know, when you say we're going to pull back and we're going to focus, I mean, there are very few executives in television. I'll say John Landgraf being one of them or Casey and FX or Casey Gloys at HBO, where if they put something out, that brand, I'm going to watch it. Whereas Netflix is a little all over the map, depending yeah, on who you are, because yeah. they represent America. But I think that the load overall, and I think you'll see this at Amazon uh, at Prime as well, who's done some great shows. They just have to find a place for something and a way to promote it. Netflix is the best at it, um, but you're not going to see as many shows. I think what you'll do is, and I, I'm, I'm sure you've noticed this, guys, but like what you were getting in 12 episodes, you're now getting in two part seasons of six. They're extending out years so that the retention of a show doesn't come, um, you know, it doesn't go so fast. And I think on top of that, um, you know, it's possible that you know, uh, they have to contend with things like short form programming. I don't know about you, but because I moved to streaming completely, YouTube is a big part of my streaming experience on the television and watching YouTube recently where they're building in ways to flip through a short form. The competition is for time and time comes in all different things, games and all these other things, but the, the kind of video that they're showing is, is for a next generation is a little different, but you know, I don't feel bad for them. And I think, you know, they're going to put out some good shows and some things I could care less about. Yeah, so Netflix and streaming is not going away. Uh, but, you know, there was a report that came out, I think, last week, I think from Ampere Analysis. But, you know, the number of TV scripted series orders fell 22% in the second half of 2021, uh, 2022 versus 2021, down 40% from 2020. You know, there is a pullback going on in scripted television. I think that's a necessary one. I don't, you know, I don't know that it, I think it's uh, that we did he, hit kind of a peak TV volume where it's just like, yeah, this doesn't make sense. You're making too much. You're spending too much. You, do, you know, what's more valuable is having 200 series of which you've heard of five or having 10 series of which they've heard of nine. You know, like what I think, is I think a couple, I think a couple of things are going on there. I think a lot of this period was testing. Oh sure, I mean Landgraf. Just... He would, he, yeah. Landgraf would just tell you that binging a show hurts its overall number, meaning, uh, meaning like they have seen evidence that where so, if you release weekly, the overall cube for that show is bigger than it would be that if you binged it. You know, if you if you binged it all at once. Um, two is there's a learning period of like if you split the season up of five, you know, five shows each instead of ten at once. The, is that allowing you to have fewer shows on, on the network and still keep, you know, right. pulling people uh, and having them not leave. I think there's a, a lot of you know stuff that's been learned in that area and you can apply that to how you spend. Uh, and then finally, and, and Richard may know more about this, which is there is a complete void right now of great showrunners. So if right. you look it's at the talent, amount talent. of talent, yeah, exactly. 
the amount of people that are want to make shows and the ideas are worthy, but the people to run those shows are not there and they result in lesser than great narratives. And the farm system is kind of broken because they're not the rooms aren't there anymore that's how you know staff writers become the next uh greg berlanti you know greg berlanti wasn't greg berlanti on his first show you know uh so and i and i and i noticed that you guys may know more than this but i noticed there's been a lot of flip outs like after the first season a show is done well but now someone's not returning as the showrunner (laughs) someone's taking over for that i've noticed that a lot house of the dragon and halo both did yeah richard go ahead I think there's been a. I, I think what you talked about the, the change in focus uh, from getting new subscribers to retention is has has huge implications or what kind of shows you get because when it's about getting new subscribers, it's it's really all about uh, you know sort of that opening weekend for a show. It's like it's it's the buzz and the and the, and the excitement and the the flashy concept, and that's why you saw a lot of these Netflix shows that were were you know got got a ton of attention in the first season and the second season they were kind of like uh and in the third season if they returned no one even noticed but and so you you have a whole kind of generation that wasn't building the shows to last like if if you're stretching them out that wasn't thinking before they 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 should what what's going to happen to these characters in season 6 and and how are are these people we really want to spend 100 episodes with I really agree with that. Like I have to say, you know, I'm not the normal TV viewer. I watch a lot, but it's hurt my confidence in some of the services, which is, am I really going to invest in this? Right. Like I almost think it should be a contract. Like if you cancel a show <laughs> like midway through, like I need to get the arc delivered to me, like at least yeah. the storyboard. <laughs> um, but that's, that's where I worry, which is you throw these things out on the wall, but like, you know, it used to be when you were, a TV show, um, you brought a TV show, you had a Bible, and you know what the arc of this show was going to be for six, seven seasons and where yeah. it was going to end up. Yeah. And then they do this quick ending all of a sudden. Right. And that, <laughs> that drives me crazy and makes me say, like, maybe I should wait until I get two or three seasons in. It does, you know, I mean, it's very, you know, uh, kind of below the level. But, yeah, over time, that does have a cumulative effect on the audience of, like, must see. And it's like, do I really need to or can I wait, you know, uh, you know, and see how it goes? It's always kind of the, you know, the HBO model. The first three are kind of okay, but episode six is great. And it's like, well, I'll just wait for, I'll wait till, you know, I'll wait till 10 are done. Then I'll start watching it. You know, you just get this delayed reaction sometimes. And there's more of these, like, seemingly, I don't know what's on the schedule, but one and done. So if you look at something like 000 that was on Prime, this was like an epic show about the drug trade. It's great. And now I'm like, where's my second season? Like, (laughs) you know, I I, I don't even know if they communicated whether there was ever going to be a second season. Right. But I want to see it. Or uh, at Outer Range, for example, on Amazon, which was, you know, the smaller show, but a really interesting show. And I'm waiting there with bated breath, seeing yeah. whether or not they were going to renew it, and they are. But a new showrunner, funny enough. Right there, you go. Yeah, yeah. Um, I want to get back to we. You mentioned briefly, Jason. You know the add to your launches this year, which are still new at, at Disney and uh, Disney Plus and, and Netflix. Um, you know, Netflix. We've heard a, a couple of things. You know, creep out. They've had to give back money to advertisers, uh, or they are giving back money to advertisers, whether that was in the contract or not. I think they they kind of implied that because um, yeah. they weren't getting the the views, you know, quite frankly, um, that they had promised for Q4. So they said, take your money back and spend your holiday money elsewhere because, you know, your holiday <laughs> advertising campaign isn't going to be too useful. It's like it'd be a make good in, in February. 
Um, and you know, there's a study that came out, I think from antenna this week that, you know, only 9% of signups in the, in the past four weeks have been for the ad tier on Netflix of people who signed up for Netflix. Again, that's uh, third party data. We'll see what that bears out, but even Netflix themselves in the Q3 call were like, this is not going to be a big Q4 event for us. They were not, they were under, you know, classically under hyping it. And I agree with them. I, mean, I don't, they didn't even promote it. Barely. They have it in small print under the glass onion ads, but even as a, as a subscriber, they didn't email the subscribers saying, hey, you have a new, you know, they don't want people to trade down. They want to really use it as a way to get new people in who weren't paying for it or were bar, or they call them <laughs> not bar, yeah. borrowing the password or whatever they, they call it the password borrowers, a creative uh, name they called them. Uh, and Disney Plus, of course, just launched, you know, on December 8th. So that's really not going to be a, a Q4 event, you know, at all in terms of the business uh, outside of making three dollars more a month on their subscribers um but you know i, th- I think all that is a, is a yeah it's, it's a but, work in progress to right me. so 2023 for me jason like what is this going to be a non-story for until 2024 do you think like how does this how do you see this kind of going? I, I think a lot of this depends on how the economy you know we're all on the edge of a recession or we hear every well, day the doom and gloom that's happening i think obviously as most of the television companies started to move to um, digital and and in some cases, uh, you know, streaming video on demand for the first time, um, they were moving late. So I like to tell a story like if you watch Raiders of the Lost Ark, there was the bag of sand and there was the Goella Idol. Sure. And the co- the company, like a company like Star is run by Jeff Hirsch. He's done a great job of managing the downside of cable and replacing it with the upside of SVOD subscription online. And he knew it was coming. Right. And he got the bag of sand in time. Others are are moving quickly now, but the timing is different. They don't have the catalogs. If you look at like Viacom or in some cases Peacock, they don't have the new shows that would drive a service. And they're also coming in late. So they're coming in where there's a little subscription fatigue. People are starting to get scared. I think when you look at Netflix, you have to keep about a couple of things. There are people who think, what's the bedrock of my home? So if I'm going to have one streaming service, what am I going to have? Is it Disney Plus? Is it Netflix? Or is it Prime? I think those are the three that probably most think about Prime being being free. Um, I and I I would also say that you're dealing with a generational issue because you know I'm 51, but even when I go back and watch any like to try to get Yellowstone on streaming without buying you know, the episode from iTunes online, you got to watch it on Paramount Network. And the Paramount Network is putting ads in it. And when they're putting ads in it, that's not the way I watch anything else anymore. <laughs> what are these and, interruptions that are happening here? I don't understand. <laughs> and, you know, you got you want to watch something with your kid, they'll, they'll be like, you know, you know, Grandpa, uh, what, what are you doing? So I think those three <laughs> things are affecting what you see the numbers to be. And I also I also think that if the economy goes into the into the shitter, you're going to see people look at their subscription bills, and there isn't a great way, unless you're on Amazon for everything, to look at everything you're spending from gaming on on down. Right. The number's not insignificant, and they'll ultimately start to look, and you know there'll be slower growth. But there's no reason not to have the ads here right. um, if you if you have a revenue mix of your of your cohorts, and it would be great to have them in the ad tier at least because now you have them paying something, and you've got the credit card. And then you could move them into a paid tier at some point, or instead of losing them, you move them down into an ad tier. So I think the decisions are correct, but I don't think it's going to be any sort of huge rescue of revenue right away. 
Um, and to your point, giving back the money is sort of smart right now when you don't know what you're doing, you don't know where you're going because the ADU situation would build up to the point where the experience becomes bad. And I think you right. and Richard probably see this all the time, but like, I don't see the same ad every four minutes on television, but when I'm on an ad supporting thing <laughs> online, I see the same exact ad constantly and it hurts my experience. Yeah, no, I agree a hundred percent. It's, you know. Uh, that's really the trick of it is Netflix wants to, you know, quote unquote, do it right, do it different. They're getting started. You know, I just think there's, there was so much talk of this business in 2022. And I'm like, I don't think this is a real material part of anybody's, you know, earnings report until 2024 or late 23 at best. It's just, you know, the adoption is going to be slow. And as you see, I mean, even HBO max, which has had an ad tier for at least over a year, I forget the exact launch date of it. They only made a, you know, it was about a hundred and maybe 120, 130 million dollars in Q3 from the ad tier, which is not going to save your deteriorating cable bundle. You know, when you have a service that people are used to watching without ads, they don't seemingly run to the ad tier where, you know, Hulu's, you know, pointed to as this great success story. A, they've been doing it for 13 years, whatever it's been. It's been a long haul, but Hulu has always had ads. And that's why their split is one third subscription and two thirds, you know, ad supported because that product is viewed as being, yeah, it has ads. They're not great. They no one likes them, but you know what I mean. It's just that, like, I, 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 do, I do, I do believe you're you're correct in terms of like every service sort of has its own personality. And right. while Hulu has had some great originals, they are known for catalog programs. Broadcast TV. It's that was what, what yeah. it was. Yeah, of what you're used to to getting. I still think it's going to be part of the revenue mix. Um, and you know, there's also a, a generational shift, which is if you look at consumer spending, where is their spending going to? So, you know, younger kids like experiences or whatever it is, but you know, you look at the food delivery business was non-existent and then built a moat around, you know, what was usually free and now controls how much you spend on your food, you know, um, how much the delivery costs and the range in which you deliver um, I still think that, you know, an ad-free tier is amazing. I think the products for ads have to get better and more innovative. It's never added to the experience the way that I see them now. And ultimately, um, they want them. There's nothing better than a subscription business because it's predictable. Right, and, it. yeah. it's, and, it's, and it's like an annuity. And I think, I'm sure Richard's going to get to this a little later, but there's going to be consolidation. If you look at a company like AMC, who have lots of great channels, but not a lot of content on each channel, the idea that you're going to keep four subscriptions with them is ridiculous. But if you consolidated them into one and then they merged with somebody, all of a sudden you have fewer spending choices in the marketplace, but you've got ro- more robust offering. Yeah. Yeah. So for, for, the, for the, the, the thing that I always advocate, and I, I think, Sean, you've uh, two or three times explained to me why... Uh, my plan here is impossible, but uh, for, for the smaller companies, like so everybody's everybody's trying to get everybody right now. Everybody's in the everybody business, and everybody's not stopping until they're um, in, in, uh, until they have uh, you know the entire planet sub- subscribing them. But if you had one of these smaller services, like say you know AMC or 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 Stars or whoever decided to target to to really target one demographic and say teenage girls or 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 men in their 40s or 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 whatever you have and and just make a ton of shows for that very and and just become indispensable for that for that demographic i uh, you know maybe it doesn't scale but i think you 
you know, if you had a fashion line that was the overwhelming favorite of teenage girls, you'd be one of the uh, most valuable fashion lines in the world. Um, And in this in this case, you'd probably certainly get bought up by Netflix or HBO or something like that. I I don't understand why that. I think you're 100% correct, and The Stars is a great example of that because they focused on Black audiences, Latino audiences, and women in some cases, and they did their they did their move. I mean, the, the 50 Cent Universe and a lot of the other programmers that they were doing over there really, really worked for them. Um, but And if you talk about a percentage growth story or where they were now and how many subs they have, 23, 25 million uh, on SBOD, it's a great story. But when you look at the revenue comparisons to what Wall Street's talking about in terms of what HBO may be grossing or what Netflix may be grossing, it's a smaller story. On a percentage-wise, it's a much bigger story. And the question is, can you roll up a couple of those and have a player? Because to you know, to some of these companies, stars, stars may not be a big enough play right now, but where they're going is to own smaller audiences and ultimately have a release schedule that keeps them going. And yet Wall Street wants to talk about the fact that, if you think about it, you guys may remember the number was, but the reason I laughed at the Netflix thing is that the drop of the uh, when that Q2 call came was like de minimis. It was maybe compared to what they thought they were going to earn, but it was like they lost Russia. And then there was like some loot, but it was like, it was like not even 1% of their base. The subscriber dropper so- saying. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So that so that so that brings me to my other crazy proposal. My <laughs> crazy proposals of twenty twenty two. The the influence of Wall Street on the the uh, on the on the the planning for all these services seems like such a burden because Wall Street's uh, what, what Wall Street wants is so out of sync with building a long term uh, service here that that I. I feel a company that will win. There will be a company that will that will take itself private and get Wall Street off its back and be able to look at make a make a three to five year plan for for once with with without these people saying, "Oh, what dirty old movie theaters with with no data." What um, and and really look at what the business could look at, and that company will emerge the the giant of uh, entertainment. I would have loved to have seen that happen. Back when Richard Kleppler was running HBO, <laughs> sure. like Take go, it go, go to you know before he saw what the AT and T you know and he probably called it to the nines was going to happen. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Go to a sovereign wealth fund and you know I don't I don't think they would have ever done this, but spin out yeah. HBO so that they can execute the, the way they need to execute. I think you'll see those happening on the smaller things. There's no way that AMC remains de- independent. I imagine they'll merge with someone or get bought to run that way. Um, but I, I agree with you, and I think that's a real thing. And, you know, it's interesting. I, I as a little bit of a dreamer and entrepreneur, want to see innovation and R&D in television. And we just went through a great moment of that with Netflix interfaces and binging and all these new kinds of programs rather than having, you know, Wall Street and one of the big talent agents have more effect on where the strategies are going right now. I'm a big believer, for example, that Jason Kyler was right, but he presented it the wrong way, which was all Jason had to do was say, hey, these are COVID rules. Um, we're going to try these things out, and if they work, they work. If they don't, they don't. 
But if you put a film on a service today that is fledgling and you've got a big film, that's going to be great economically for the for the overall value of that consumer that it brings into the service. As you get to 200, 300, 400 million subs, putting a $200 million movie on the service first run probably doesn't make as much sense because you can't get the the value out of it. Right. So a lot of this is presentation, but I think that what you're seeing, I think Zaslav is an amazing executive. I love him. He's a buddy, but I don't know that he could do anything else than what he's doing right now with the debt load that you see and the pressure from Wall Street. And uh, I don't know what changed Wall Street's mind in that Netflix was one of the only companies that is really a media company, but it's also a tech company that was treated like a tech company in terms of patience, spending and getting there. But they made a land grab for the entire dial, and they won, they won the first stage of it. Now people want them to pull back. But if that was a tech company, and let's put the economy aside for a second, even though that sounds stupid, they would still be given maybe an 8 to 10 to 12-year run of spending so that they're so far out when they turn around to monetize or cut they're not going to go off the, they're not going to lose their position. Yeah. Um, So I think your second prediction is doable and is going to happen. And I don't know if it's the Qataris or the Saudis (laughs) or whoever it is, but you know, one of, one of the world cup countries is definitely supplying the cash. But I will say that, I mean, we, this is kind of happening at Amazon and Apple. They don't report numbers for their services. They are just building, I mean, they're public companies, but they're not being judged on, how these things are doing, you know, so we're never going to know, unfortunately, unless they change your policies, but we have no idea. Apple TV is, is building at a, a spend that we literally have no idea. We don't know how much is bringing in. We don't, you know, we will make estimates, but they don't even talk about it in their earnings, in their earnings call. It's not even a line item. And they're, you know, they're, they are the Qatari fund that's funding a streaming service that is not being reported upon. And Amazon prime arguably, it's barely broken out, but along with music and Twitch, it's all grouped together. There's no breakout of Amazon Prime Video, and they're spending a billion dollars a year on NFL. And I was like, sure, why not? Whereas if Warner Brothers, WBD has to renew the NBA, and there's going to be a lot, to Richard's point, a lot of scrutiny about that. They're going to not be able to get that Amazon treatment of like, sounds good. Google, you want to pay $2 billion for Sunday ticket, which I do it a breakdown today in the wake up about it. I don't see how this math ever works out as making any kind of money for you. But everybody's like, yeah, it's Google. They make ninety billion a year. Who cares? And I'm like, there's your beneficiary. Those are your those are your the tech companies have become the you know the benefactors. That's it. Uh, yeah, I don't know exactly what the Google story is. I mean, it, it's a great story, and certainly those rumors have been around for every of one of these tech platforms forever. I know that they have you know between the two. I saw yesterday between Facebook and and Google, they've got something like fifty percent of the. The you know, ad, display ad market, market or the ad market, but it's yeah. they're they're not necessarily the most efficient spends. They're not the greatest, um, you know, sort of formats. Um, I, you know, I um, I ultimately see the money that these guys are spending as being nothing in the scheme of things to their businesses. I actually don't think they've got enough credit creatively. I think Apple's done a really good job of some great shows, as does. Amazon, I I don't have any idea what they do in terms of numbers, and I don't know if it's a distribution issue with their apps or Apple TV probably has a worse problem than than Prime does. Um, but I also don't even know if they were doing well, even by numbers that we would consider good, 
whether they would put those out. I think one of the stories you'll hear specifically, and we haven't talked about this, is how effective Amazon Prime is at selling channels. Um, meaning, like th- that, you know, I would g- I would gather that there's already been more than half a million subs and more on HBO Max coming back, and their their sell is going to be how do we bring down your acquisition cost and add subscribers for you, and it's a no big issue. And I don't know what the deal terms would be, but the reason these companies don't want to do these deals is one, they want to own the consumer. And two, you know, they want to see what they can do on their own. But if you look at what Zaslav said when he first joined the company, you know, after the official merger was done, he was basically saying these acquisition costs are crazy. Um, And and we don't really know how that plays into things. So if you can go to an Amazon and they can deliver you what you want with the ownership of data that you want, it's it's really a no brainer. And uh, I will tell you what I'm worried about right now as it relates to sports. You know, I, I joined YouTube TV last week just to have like a little bit of a buffer and play around with the product again <laughs> because I now have the screen of 30 apps and they all have different interfaces and they work at different times and some have different rules. Um, you know, the having sports, you know, as if you look at ESPN, if their rights dwindle, how many apps are we going to be watching in order to get the programming that we need? And it's all the more better that there would be a cons- a, another consolidator of interface <laughs> and rights, funny enough. Well, yeah, that's called the cable company, Jason. Uh, yeah. so, you know, it's, it's, it's just the same narrative that keeps going back and forth. Me, and everyone's me, like, it's me, revolutionary. Me, me I'm like, no, off. it's not. Yeah. You know, uh, Bun- YouTube- bundles work. Well, listen, there's no perfect, you know, the the perfect thing is just going to be talking to your remote and say, show me giant New York Giants game. That's it. And you'll see if you have it or you don't. And then it's like, all right, well, you want to pay the five bucks or don't you? Because it's, you know, and that's you just you know what you you know, well, either you go and you want to just search and discover like, I just want to have some lean back television or, you know, you want to watch. This show, you have no idea what service it's on anymore. Quite free you now. It's like I saw. Yep. Okay, show me glass when glass on you, maybe it's a bed. But you know, whatever it may, you know, House of the Dragon, whatever it might be. It's oh, is that on HBO Max or HBO? Do I have that? Yeah, yeah. Just say, show me House of the Dragon, and this and it shows up, and that's what everybody wants to get to. But that's a huge opportunity for Apple and Prime and maybe even Google that is now coming on a lot well, of TV the, sets ready right. to go. Yeah. Is the singular search when you use Prime as a search or you use Apple TV as a search, not the the the, the service part of Apple TV, but the app part. Right. That is a search of every available video right. in the world. And you can get it for free, you can get it via S you can get it for some rental or, or buy fee. There needs to be work put into that because yes. the fatigue of the interface is actually a real issue, and it's not there I bring yeah. it. I bring it up again. But if you like Yellowstone, right. there is Paramount. Yellow- there is Paramount Plus, <laughs> Paramount Network, and iTunes. And let me tell you something: when you search for it right away, you're going to make a mistake um, the first <laughs> time to figure out how to get it. And you make it a Yellowstone uh, Park documentary first, or something. Uh, you know? Who knows? Yes, exactly, exactly. <laughs> so what, what is this? There's no killing. What about? Uh... We, you know, we 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 talk about the death of the cable companies, but they're still supplying the the wires that uh, that we get everything through. Even if even if you cancel your programming, you're you're still we're we're coming to you over over from my house over Spectrum here. Uh, uh, at what point do they decide to, since their old business is going away, to insert themselves in this new business and say? Uh, 
Hey everybody, you wanna you wanna deliver your content? Uh, some nice some nice shows you got, and uh, you, you want to come come through our wires? How about we how about we create a little bundle, and uh, and, and we we put it together and take a cut off the top, and we deliver a new ser- a new a new service that's uh, everything put together here. When, what, what what stops Comcast from? Uh, I think that they've, you know, traditionally, if you've looked at net neutrality issues and, and other sorts of issues that have come up over the years, that started to happen, you know, a decade and a half ago, where if you wanted your channel distributed on Comcast or DirecTV, you were giving up a piece of the channel or you were giving up a piece of, you know, the local the local ads. I see slowly, it's they're sending mixed signals, but I see slowly the bigger, you know, access companies getting out of that market and deciding, you know, where do they want to put their money in terms of building the infrastructure? You know, gaming is obviously going to be a much bigger part. Uh, you know, it's still a huge part, but it's going to be a much bigger part of the family experience. Um, you know, you've got Peacock, which hasn't started in the way that I think Comcast would hope. But if you told me in 18 months that, you know, Zaz is selling Comcast to Com- uh, selling to Comcast, um, I wouldn't be shocked. Um, uh, it would be interesting to see who's going to run that, you know, company or that spin out. But if there was a massive opportunity for one of these guys to get one of the big ones, um, you know, Comcast has always been after Disney, they would. Um, but I- I've seen very little example of, um, you know, s- saying they're going to recreate the cable bundle again. They're just offering up. I mean, look at DirecTV. DirecTV allows you to watch there, if you have direct TV, you can watch their shows on their app. But if you want to watch all their shows on streaming on a TV, you can't do that with direct TV. You have, you have to get something called direct TV stream, meaning, you know, they have a service, but the rules are much, much different. And, and they introduced that for the cord cutter. But I, I don't, I see more channels getting dropped. I see sports rights moving away. These are the reasons that you kept those bundles together. It'll be interesting to see what happens. I mean, in all these stories, um, specifically the Google story, they they make it as if DirecTV's uh, an afterthought, that they're never going to be able to get that deal again for direct ticket, and then it's a fatal complete that it goes to one of the tech platforms. Hmm. That means to me they're, I mean, DirecTV being a different issue, but like places like Comcast and others are starting to focus on access. You know, you, you don't, if you're, that's the top, that's the top and the bottom, meaning you don't get on the net without us. Mm-hmm. What the fee is, who knows, but I don't know that it's a package deal, but I will tell you that it's very confusing for the consumer still to have an app for a service and a channel for the service, meaning within Roku or within any of these platforms, you can either subscribe to the channel through Roku or you can download an app and have a direct relationship with it. The experience is different, but it's confusing. So I think it's all still being, you know, figured out. And while I think that the on-demand aspect has been wonderful and watch any time that you want has been wonderful, I think there's a lot of mixed signals in terms of usability and then where the future lies. And, you know, if you're not a tech company, why would you have your own app when you could just go to Amazon channels or Apple TV but then you lose ownership. I mean, there's still a lot of things to be worked out here, and it's happening too slow in my in my opinion. 
Yeah, and there, there are some other just net neutrality you mentioned earlier on. There is it still a factor, and you know some legal issues. You know, with that, you know, charging for access on your broadband wires is not legally the same as charging for a cable TV package access. You know, from the eyes of the law. So that's a bit of reason why there. Yeah. But also, you know, as 5G comes into its own. It's still very, very early days with the te- te- technology there. And fixed wireless becomes a bigger business, which just started the second half of this year. You could have a, you know, back to not to bring Twitter into this, and I'm not going to dive into it too much, but in that Twitter says it's eight bucks here. But if you go through these people, it's $11 because they charge us more. So if Comcast wants to take a vig of Netflix's business, you can get Netflix anywhere. And once become, once, 5G becomes a viable way wireless or wired speeds come together, it'll be a competitive advantage. Say T-Mobile will be like, oh, we're not, no, we'll charge you $10. We're not charging the $12 of Comcast. Sign up through us. It's the same Netflix. You know, so like that charge of access, the monopoly of broadband is only going to, you know, this is, you know, how soon it is probably a good three to five years away where the speeds catch up. But, you know, cellular speeds only going in one direction it's not going back to 4g there'll be a 6g like it will get there you know where it's going and once it gets there the verizons and at&t's of the world will be in direct competition for your broadband business richard and then you can say well as a content provider i cut a deal with these guys and you can get your thing here that you love so much and comcast oh no they rip you off don't go there you know so it's a hard thing to win there too much. Where cable was a closed loop, you had one option for your television. You know, and as Jason, you said, they, remember that they used to take stakes and channels. That's right to get, yeah. to, get to get added to a to a cable bundle. And by the way, it's that. also it's also about what does it add. So, for example, I put a premium on easy access and interface. So if you told me I could buy a bundle from you, and it's going to be slightly cheaper than if I bought all the channels all the cart, and it's easier to use. Right now, you know, I've got some of my now channels inside of Apple TV. Right. Some of the channels aren't distributed on Apple TV, but they're distributed on Prime. All of these have apps, and in apps you have search. In in the channels you don't have search to that channel. It, it's it's a mess all over the place, and a lot of it has to do with the with the the channel companies at first saying, "I need to develop this direct to consumer relationship, and I'm going to get a bigger piece of the pie." But then you can also argue that I want a smaller piece of the pie, but I want bigger sub numbers. Um, you know, you get 100% of the revenue if you're stars, um, but it's harder to get your funnel working. But you get 70% of the revenue and you've got millions of subs coming in from Amazon or from Apple. Yep. Yep. It's a trade off. And, you know, I don't, I don't know where it ends up. And I also know that, you know, if you're AMC, do you really want to be keeping up your own apps and all that money right. into technology where you should be considering making more of a programming spend, but you also don't want to be in the sights of not controlling some of your, your future. Yeah. And uh, these relationships have never been good. You know, it, it accelerates now, but when I was at Viacom years ago, there always came, we knew the deal was coming up in four years and then it got right. to three and two and one. <laughs> right. And then all of a sudden it got to two days before. Yeah. And then uh-huh. we're putting Charlie, Charlie Ergen's, you know, telephone number on the screen. <laughs> the and, bottom, the bottom crawl, the bottom call yeah. provider. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, uh, you know, dish wants to take away your channels. Yes, right. That's the nonsense that still bothers me. It still um, exists. Yeah. If I'm going to have a la carte, I'd like to see a la carte get consolidated to fewer a la cartes. That's and yeah. I can, and that's I yeah. Can, I think yeah, yeah. Richard, your point about having that's those great. niche services, yeah, on their own, it's hard. But if you had an, you know, someone who owned a few different ones, so you had a few different niches, then you have 
a bit more scale. We're doing one company just targeting, you know, men over 40 is a little tough, but if you also had that teen girl service and you've also, you know, but even though the, the consumer just sees what the services are, like that serves them. But from a business point of view, you still need a little bit more of that larger umbrella, you know, maybe that, you know, to exist on Wall Street, as you say, like in just in that day and age, you know. Yeah. Um, and I don't make the bet. That, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. If you combine my predictions and and you go private doing that, then right, exactly, then exactly, yeah, right. yeah. yeah. And I would fun. I would bet that for the three of us, this idea of a la carte cable was bullshit. So, <laughs> you know, I I uh, cable was easy. It was a good deal. Yes, there were lots of channels that I didn't watch. But now that I have everything a la carte, my 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 bill is the same essentially, yeah. and YouTube TV more. is cheap. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, you know, and I again, I'm I'm voracious about my viewing. But you know, it's a very great soundbite for the 20 years that we watched the cable business. You know, in the beginnings of our, our career, which was, you know, I'm I, you know I don't want to pay for what I don't watch. But when you looked at actually the value that you were getting overall in a basic package. And then in some of the premium packages, it wasn't such a bad deal. And while the technology wasn't there and the interface wasn't there, at least it worked the same from channel to channel. I mean, you and I haven't even, and I'm going to get granular here, but we haven't even talked about subtitles and overdubs and, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, sa- <laughs> and, and variable sound. You know, you're watching Netflix and then you go into Prime and then you go into YouTube. The yeah. sound is all over the place. How many times are you touching the volume when you're watching streaming television? <laughs> my HBO Max is this, True. and my Netflix is this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Uh, that's, a, yeah, that's a good point. Um, all right, I'm going to pivot a little bit here, and uh, you know, we don't need to rehash what happened to Disney. If you're not up to speed by now, you're probably not listening to this podcast. Uh, so, but I do. I am curious. I mean, you know, uh, so are you, Richard? So, you know, if you were writing a Bob Iger sets a, a Zoom call with you next week for advice on the first half of 2023. What are the priorities? What you know? What does Disney need to do, or what do you, you know? What what does Bob Iger need to do at Disney? Do you feel uh, in 2023 or even the first half of the year? You know, what's what what's the thing to focus on, and what what's the you know the priority for him at this point? As as all the advice starts coming in for him, what do you, what do you how do you view Disney right now? Now that things are settled for the time being, so to speak. You know, for for me, when I look at the the the, the big question is, they, um, you know, I, Iger when he when he when he bought Pixar, he describes in his book how he they told him animation is the driver of this whole company, and that if we're not producing animated hits and if we're not uh, refreshing our animated library, the whole Disney proposition falls apart, and. Uh, Guess what? Uh, Disney's not producing animated hits, right? For for uh, you know they they in Canto and 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 Turning Red, they sort of stumbled into those that that are you know a fraction of what they they might have been. But by and large, they're they're not launching new uh, new animated franchises. And if they can't turn that around, that's that's a uh, that's an arrow at the heart of the the Disney company. Yeah. Which is what his I mean, storytelling was a big part of what his skill set was, you know. So maybe he has a, a hand there to, to go in. Jason, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, I think Iger was known as someone who actually had taste and right. you know did care about the content, wasn't just on top of it. Um, I, you know, obviously the acquisitions that they made were brilliant. Certainly at the time, um, some of the concerns that I have as a fan is you know franchise overload. 
Um, you know, sure. I which which with with the thirteen year old in our house, I watched you know all of Marvel in the timeline order and all of Star Wars in the timeline order, and putting those out as sort of a conveyor belt. I haven't seen this as much in Marvel, but I think in some ways, even though the grosses were amazing, I think some of the Star Wars stuff fumbled. Um, Disney Plus, as long as I can afford it, is always going to be something in the house. It, it's it's something that I have you know, a lot of love for, because when I was a kid and I go back and watch things like Disney nature and others, what I found, and specifically, I feel this way, you know, my favorite TV show probably this year, and we'll get to this late later, but was Andor and Andor was an adult story with really great acting where special effects were sort of in the background. Um, it was a real, you know, well-told story and the quality of that was great, but the cadence at which those things are coming out isn't no. great. So how long could Disney have? There's an ego there, which is we have the classics and there's only so much, but at some point you're going to have to start driving that stuff. And when you have franchise fatigue or some sense of overload, the importance of some of that stuff may not be so great. And we're still dealing with a world. I don't know what the numbers are where, you know, when cable at the height of the Sopranos, at the height of game of Thrones, you're still looking at 60 to 70% of what was being watched on those channels as licensed movies. Um, yeah. Classics, you know, the, the hunt for red October comes on and you got to sure. watch it. It's, uh, the re- the rewatchables, or, or, you know, exactly. Yeah, right. Yeah. 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 Ru- Ru- Rudy, um, <laughs> you know, I'm not saying you need to have a hundred thousand shows, but you need to keep them coming. And for me, like right now there's a lull in star Wars, meaning Andor's done. There was no last week replacement for Andor. There's not a new Obi-Wan. There's not a new Mandalorian. I've seen the entire catalog up there. And then finally, if you have a usability issue, if you have, though Disney's very good about cost infrastructure as it relates to tech and centralization, this idea that you had Hulu, which I think is one of the biggest fumbles in the history of media, meaning like Hulu should be what people talk about when they talk about Netflix and stuff, but it, it wasn't for many reasons you've got disney plus you've got espn you know you've got three products in one company is that the wave of the future and um what's going to happen to an espn plus if they start to lose more of their rights some of the things that got me back into sports were last dance or man man in the arena on on espn plus but they don't seem to be making a lot of that but they seem to be losing or letting go of um you know sports rights so how are you? What is what is going to be the structure of the company and then uh, of the streaming services? And then finally, if you have been to Disneyland recently, the price will literally shock you out of your chair. It's it's incredible. Yeah, I've only I've never and, been. And and I've, I've read the stuff, Richard. Go ahead. Yeah, I mean, it, it, and what's what's even more uh, uh, galling than the price is you know you the the tickets are fantastically expensive and then you and then you're you're spending another forty dollars every two feet you walk and then they're trying to upsell you the, the entire time and you're and they've got the genie plus that makes it clear like oh yeah you're in the park but that doesn't mean you get to go on rides like that i don't want to tell you last december i took the kids for the first time i'm a spoiled guy. So I don't like lines. You know, I've got some context there, but I got the private guide, which no one can really do in America. It's, it's a ridiculous cost. And even, you know, and that was great, but to see what you paid to get into the park, 
but you see to wait for a ride. When you get off the ride, all you want to do is give kids Benadryl because they're going to see what they want now when they get off the ride. <laughs> and the ride, the ride is less than three minutes. And the and you got to take out a loan and fill out like you know if you were to if we were to let you into the store to get a lightsaber, right? You know how would you pay for this kind of stuff? The value is so out of whack. And then to be honest with you, the parks are long in the tooth, and you're seeing things like, and we'll we'll talk about this as we get to VR or you know the expectation of a kid today with video games and all the things that they see in Marvel movies and stuff. And then they get onto a traditional ride. The expectation is just different, but also how are they employing technology? Universal does this decently. Certainly the Star Wars stuff does this decently so that the footprint of the ride is less mechanical and more virtual. And what does that mean for the cost structure of the park? And also what does it mean for getting people to go to the park? When you call two months in advance and the only room that they have for you is a $3,000 a night room with <laughs> one bed and a pullout, and you're still spending God knows what a day. And by the way, this is not like the arena game where like you at least get like all the restaurants have been improved and the seating's been improved. And like, yeah. you're not getting great food at, at maybe at the outer park at Disney, but well, like when you're in Disney, you're not getting great food. Well, what's 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 uh, what's extra galling now is uh, because it's all on the app, so you have to you have to schedule a reservation to go pick up your churro, literally, uh, and and to that you can't just walk walk up to these things because then you're in the standby line and everything. So everyone is on you're at Disneyland. Everyone is on their apps, like trying to plan their reservation to get to get popcorn and like get on the the. This sounds hard. Everything, everything is virtual these days. So there's nothing I can't get from Postmates, you know, for the most part. Or, you know, we live in a lazy society where we can get stuff. So if I'm going to go out, I want you to wow me. So for, excuse my language, but for 40 years or so, I've been fucking dying to go to the Star Wars bar or, you know, the Star Wars restaurant. And, and I pay to have a guide get me into everything. And I get it. So even when I have that guide, I'm waiting for 30, 45 minutes, an hour to get into the new Star Wars cantina. And then when I get into the cantina, the first thing they say to me basically is like, and again, I'm exaggerating here, but like you have 17 minutes to eat. (laughs) You know, like that's the first thing they're telling you. Like, I want to feel like the stormtroopers are coming for me and Darcy is coming. I can look around and it's like about like, okay, here you've seen it, move on. Here you've seen it, move on. It would be like getting a tour of NORAD where they don't want you to look at anything. I think that there's been this... I've always loved the hubris and the attention to detail. If you watch the... One of the greatest things on Disney Plus is the Imagineers documentary that tells you the history of how Disney invented all this stuff, invented all this technology. Nothing was there because he thought that theme parks were dull. Um, There needs to be a little less hubris now and a little like we're we're jogging in place and we need to be a little more insecure about our experiences to upgrade those things because it's harder and more expensive for a family to ever go and richard points it out so eloquently which is like when you've spent all that money up front and you went on the app and then you get in the park and you see what you don't get yeah um that's troubling for me and i liken it to the CEO of a media company who's never used their own streaming service because they have IT come over and hook them up 
and nothing ever goes wrong um you need to you need to do a little undercover boss at those parks yeah and, i mean it's, and, it's great it's like, great that Iger walks through the parks and greets the fans uh he should stand on the space mountain line right exactly and, yeah and, and, take a and, shift and, at the at the churro stand and see uh yeah. see how they the reaction what do you think yeah. this is this was the uh puzzle i was doing in, in my mind when i was there what is the price point that actually reduces the crowds there what do you think I, and, and by the way i will say this i don't even when I, I went to universal during thanksgiving and they told me this day was empty and the park was, this was the day after Thanksgiving, and the park was packed. So I don't even yeah. know what a reduced crowd means. They may not know. Yeah, yeah. I, I usually figure it out. If I see more than a 1,000 people walking, eating turkey legs, then I know it's a big day. Yeah. Um, but um, I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I, I don't even know if someone, I, I think they have a sticker shock when they pay for the initial stuff and they see the hotel room and everything. I don't know that the, the average family knows when they're walking into the park what they're looking in. I mean, think about it. The w- commerce is comes before you walk into the park. They've got yeah. all these stores and restaurants and, sh- you know, getting all the shopping from consolidating and curating it before you walk into the park. The kid wants everything. I don't, is your, is your question how much more do you have to pay so that the crowds go down or how much more? How, how, how much more? Would you, how, so yeah. if you had, if it was $400 a ticket at right. that point, it would probably reduce the uh the crazy crowds like what 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 is how do you, how do you money, price money, america money, out yeah money wasn't an object for me when i went to disney and i will tell you that i decided to do a one-day trip instead of a three-day trip because of the cost meaning i wanted to spread it out and instead i'm like this like sadistic stepdad like we're getting there at eight and we're leaving at 11 yeah. at night and we're doing everything in one day to get it in yeah. um i i, I guess it's an interesting dilemma because I don't want to see the price go up. I mean, I know that that would be better for the for the overall experience of the park in some ways, but like the idea that a family, it's such an American thing. It's such a thing to want to give that to your children. I would hate to see that be the impediment. Yeah. And then and then all of a sudden Disney starts to become <laughs> you know, this if you think about the dollar that you're giving to Disney on a on a on a yearly basis with their service and with their 55 or six, I think right now they see 55 million people into one of the parks a year or something, the number around that. Um, I, I have no answer for that. I don't think the answer would be good either way. <laughs> yeah. It, be, <laughs> you know? it becomes Liberty I mean, Din. You know, it's like, and then, okay. You know, the, exactly. And then the executive with the horns in their head turns to the three of us and says, not not a bad gig we've got, right? Like if we <laughs> if we turn if we if we can make it off on a price up and people will do it because they love us, and if we you know turn it down, more people will come. Like you know, yeah. I, I guess my point is, if you weren't just a bald capitalist, like what what do you think makes the park worse? And can you run a more efficient park at the price point that is more affordable? And I think that's where we've lost touch. And I don't know if it's a labor issue. I don't know if it's a cancellation issue or an insurance issue, but that experience is not for the average American now. Right. Because and that's what it was meant. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. That's what I, no. Iger needs to get back, get that, change that narrative, I feel, because it does seem like something that's taken, starting to take hold and was only going in one direction under, under Chapek. And I think that would be, you know, it's not, not how much can you charge, but how do you get it back to that perception 
of being because you know perception can change real fast we've seen it on products it's not doesn't take that long for people to be like you know what screw you guys and i understand, I, I feel know. i feel like when i'm walking through the park i'm full of wonder and i and i and i know yeah. the history of his town in missouri or wherever it was and he fashioned main street after that the good times of that but throughout the day i feel more like the restaurant owner of the like the Hawaiian luau thing, Goodfellas, where he's like, he asks, he asks, yes, he, asks Paulie. Paulie yeah, exactly. yeah, he asks Paulie to become a partner, and then by the end of the day, you, you know, you my credit the card joint that, for, yeah, uh, the, for insurance the, money. The, yeah, I've spent a thousand dollars on lightsabers. I'm carrying all the, there's no lock. There's no locker to put anything in. And like, it's you, like, it's like a locker too. Oh, wait, hold on. That'll be a hundred dollars. I, 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 I love Disneyland. I've been going there since I was five. It's such an important part. To just, I love nothing more than, uh, you know, bringing my kids to it. Now, um, you feel like you're at war with the whole place while you're there. Yeah, like that's the last thing you yeah. want to. Yeah, you want to do. Yeah, but, uh, so they, they take anyway. it in the front and they take it out. Right. The back, they take know? it out the back. <laughs> exactly. Uh, uh, well, we've got uh, more we can talk about today, guys. But I do want to round this out. I will just uh, skip to. We'll keep this pretty brief on the end. But just looking back on what you enjoyed this year, give me your top show top three shows what what really stuck with you that you watched this year that you will that that still is in your head right now as as the year ends uh richard why don't we start with you uh so many so many things i, I watched that like uh white lotus uh just ended of course is uh essential viewing um the uh Okay, my favorite my favorite drama I think is for all mankind on 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 yeah. Apple. Yeah, uh, my my favorite comedy it would be uh, uh, what we do in shadows on 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 FX. Uh, my favorite so British com- comedy was uh, the uh, the uh, uh, t- Toast of London, which this this year did a season in Hollywood. And if you if you poke around online, you can you can find it hidden somewhere, some places. Uh, my best overall viewing experience, uh, the, 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 the most exciting viewing experience I, I had this year was seeing uh, Moon Age Daydream, the David Bowie documentary on the big screen, which I, I recommend to everybody that they, they find somewhere where it's playing and uh, go see that. Just shortlisted for the Oscar yesterday. All right. Oh, and uh, I just I, watched I, 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 oh, I just watched you? another plug for I just watched Banshees of... Uh, in is free, which I, I really loved. Yeah, and Sharon, it was yeah, that was really yeah, I really enjoyed that as well. It's a not movie you expect to enjoy. Yeah, you don't expect. Yeah. You kind of go in like, yeah, oh, what's this going to be? And by the end, you're like, that was a really like if you look at it on paper, yeah. it's very dark and like it doesn't. You don't walk out necessarily as thinking as you, you might have gotten in on that. So uh, it's really, really well done. Uh, They're great together. I forgot the movie they did together years ago that I well, saw in Bruges, Sundance. In Bruges, yeah, in yeah. Bruges, which yeah, is great. Yeah, yeah. And you then, know, yeah. it's it's definitely dark movie, but it's funny and it's, sweet. It's funny, and yeah, it has its other moments to it. Uh, Jason, you're in a, a Star Wars uh, sweatshirt right now, so clearly we know Andor already mm-hmm. on your list. Uh, what else? Uh, yeah. What else stuck with you? This I year? am I am the 51 year old guy in the Star Wars sweatshirt <laughs> for sure. So, um, I listen. I I find so much great stuff out there, but. I was very impressed. My friend Greg Yatanis did a great job on House of Dragons. It was a slow build. You're going up against comparing it to something else, but I thought ultimately it was a very intricate tale of a family. I loved FX's Old Man with Jeff Bridges, which, you know, anything spy-related I love. 
Andor is phenomenal. I can't get enough of it. I can't wait. And I know eventually what happens too, but you know, it's, it's still <laughs> okay. Um, I thought slow horses, um, oh, another one that, yeah. on, on, on Apple, Apple TV. TV. Yeah, that's a great show. Um, if you didn't know about it and I'm still learning about cricket and football as they would call it abroad, but FIFA, um, uh, uncovered or uncensored, I forget on Netflix is a great four part documentary about the business of FIFA and corruption. I, I would recommend it. Um, Ben Silverman series called untold on Netflix, which are about these sports stories that you've never heard of. Oh, watch, the yeah, one about, yeah, yeah. watch the one about the independent hockey team and the mob. Um, <laughs> it's phenomenal. And then a couple of smaller ones like outer range and peripheral, um, Amazon. On uh, Amazon, um, you know, sci-fi sort of leading programs, and then um, uh, Reservation Dogs, another FX, um, you know, genius show about life on the res. Mm. Very poignant, yeah, sometimes very show. sad, but but very very funny. And then uh, I'll send this out to my my stepson, Abbott Elementary. The episodes that I've watched are pretty damn funny. Yeah, um, that's always a and uh, worth it. But I, I could go on and on forever. But uh, <laughs> you know, and then and then the movie to me, another Fox Searchlight, <laughs> David Greenbaum and those guys just have great taste. I literally was on the floor laughing out loud for the movie The Menu. No, oh, and okay. I, I would. Film, it's yeah. not. Yeah, I mean, it's a movie. If you if you're going to the theater, go see it. I saw Wakanda too. I liked it, but The Menu is laugh out loud funny look at class structure but also looking at this whole fascination with high high end food mm-hmm. um and uh you know restaurants like Noma and the other things it is hysterical all right very you watched a lot that's a good see that's very very good sample that was just yesterday i was say right yeah but that would give you part two to go through i I'd, yeah i would just give three brief ones uh since i write a daily newsletter so i don't watch as much television but uh I, you know, i've been a bit more of a well you're a sports guy too a bit jason i think too but you know, uh, winning time on hbo i thought was just a lot of Fantastic. fun that show could have gone wrong 20 different ways and i thought it really thread the needle the casting was fantastic how do you find players that look like basketball players and play and, and, and look and, and actually look like magic and Kareem. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. yeah. Which is, you know, it's a really tough thing to do that. You know, uh, the direction was great. Adam McKay did a great job setting a tone and a feel. The music was fantastic. So I'm excited for that to come back. Uh, the Neil Brennan comedy special on on Netflix blocks. I thought was very good. It just, that was oh, no, last no. month. So for a comedy recommendation, and then I'm going to, you know, give a shout out to Amazon for Thursday Night Football. They pulled it off. Uh, you know, that was not the slam dunk. Uh, getting Al Michaels was the exact right call for all the M- NFL announcer deals that went on before the season and what people are paying. I'm like, Al still, I mean, his personal opinion, still the best. And he was free. And they said, Al Michaels is free. Yeah, we'll take Al Michaels. And uh, go ahead, Jason. So I have a question about that. So I'm right. getting back into football because of the boys, and we watch the games on Sunday, Monday, and Thursday. Yeah. So I I will tell you I like Richard Sherman. Al Michaels is the voice of football to me, yes. so I loved it. Right. It was great having it. I didn't have any connection issues. Right. But boy, were most of those games horrendous for most of the season. <laughs> and, it is still and, Thursday night football, Jason. <laughs> well, well. So so my question is: Are 
do they pick the bad games in advance or or is it just literally it's yeah. just roll of the dice? Uh no, I mean I don't well for I'll kill you for Sunday night football, the first half of the season is set and then NBC can have a say on that, but that's for Sunday night football. I don't know that Thursday night has the juice because you got they gotta play somewhere and you can't every franchise, you know, Monday night Sunday night's first, Monday night would be next priority, Thursday night is the third, you know, outside of the Sunday games, the third priority. So they don't they're to answer your short short answers yet they're set and good luck uh basically for, yeah. for, the, for that may change in the future uh if Amazon looks at this and says hey. I was like it's very interesting that they know what the bad games are going to be in, in advance <laughs> this week's was good um, though. the the, the yes, was. Was, so in their defense but yeah. no and it shows in the rating you know the audience too is really I mean that's the thing is like how is it doing I'm like well the first month is this because all everybody's fine by November, you're going at seven million this week. It's eleven million this week because you're to your point. This is a no, you know, a dud game, and it's it's yeah, they don't but, have a choice. But for, but for three guys that saw the launch of Amazon, the fact that the NFL yeah, is live exactly. and exclusive on Amazon is a moment, and it's, that moment's going to continue. That's the biggest sports franchise in the world on streaming. You know, streaming only franchise, not an additional stream like you know Paramount that's also on broadcast. Like this, is the only place you can do it. It was a big leap, uh, and they pulled it off technically. Uh, you know, without a hitch. And to your point about advertising, Jason. I think it's one of the best ad experiences of all football. I mean, if you watch the game on Sunday, you're seeing State Farm ads every break, and you're seeing you know, like the, the variety is so bad. And Amazon does a great job of mixing it up, and they can also promote the ring. I mean, the ring product they can promote the peripheral. They you know they have somebody. The good thing about Amazon is they have so many business lines that you don't feel like you're being sold Amazon Prime five million times in the same ad. You know, so yeah. Uh, next next time next time we do that, that's a great topic, which is. How do these sports rights lead to lead in for traditional scripted and unscripted shows on services that get those rights? Exactly right. And that's what I think Amazon could actually improve upon because they do toss to things, but there's no reason why you shouldn't put a show linear in the, in the, in the stream. It just goes right into plays. It plays right in the stream after the game. So you don't have to even go select anything. The game's over. Thanks. As you do on television. And then, then Jack Ryan just comes on. If you're just leaning back and you're just still watching television, they're not doing that yet. And that's the, exactly right, Jason. So, but a conversation for another time for sure. Uh, Jason, thanks for joining us. Uh, thank you great. so much. Thank you guys. Thanks you for know. having me. Thanks for getting me up. Now, now my uh, fiance <laughs> wants me to do chores. <laughs> <laughs> that, that we can't help out with. Uh, yeah. Richard, hope you have a good uh, holiday weekend out there in Absolutely. Los Angeles uh, with your family. You too. Great uh, talk with you guys. Yeah, definitely. And uh, of course, you can. Subscribe to The Ankler at theankler.com to get the full suite of newsletters and podcasts. Uh, and you can, of course, follow us on the socials at The Ankler. And if you're listening over the weekend, I'll be doing a full breakdown of the box office, which we didn't even get to today, uh, breaking down Avatar Week 2. We'll have Babylon. We'll have the Whitney Houston movie, which got some very good reviews, actually, for a film that was embargoed until the day before. Usually that's a bad sign, but uh, the critics were really on board with that film so uh shout out to Cassie lemons who directed that uh anyway full breakdown on that on tuesday because it's kind of a three-day weekend for the box office and uh that's it i don't know we'll see if i can drag richard out of his uh eggnog haze <laughs> for a podcast next week but we'll uh we'll see how that goes we'll see but, about uh, that we'll see about that if not we will yeah. definitely see you the in early in early january again for another podcast uh so thanks for listening and uh have a great holiday